This episode of Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex podcast, is brought to you by Dwayne the Canoe Guy Hendrickson of the Matching Dragoons website, which you may find at jonahhex.blogspot.com. Matching Dragoons, blogging each and every appearance of Jonah Hex, also featuring a Hex body count and injury list, in-depth Hex analysis, Pitchman a go-go, Salesman of Yesteryear, House Ads, and whatever else happens to fall on Dwayne's scanner. Drop in, read for a spell, and leave a comment or two at jonahhex.blogspot.com. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Because you demanded it, this is Episode 9 and the Triumphant Return of Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, and I am Scott Gardner. Thank you very much for downloading the episode, and welcome, whether it's welcome back after the ridiculously long hiatus, or if this is your very first episode, I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. First off, to those that uh, were faithful listeners to this show and the uh, first eight episodes, I owe you folks an apology. I am so sorry. I never, ever intended for the hiatus to be as crazy long as it was. It has been well over a year. In fact, just to peek behind the curtain, folks, the issue that we'll be looking at this episode was originally intended to be my Halloween episode for uh, not this past Halloween, but the Halloween before Halloween 2010. So yeah, that's how long it has been since episode 8. I do most sincerely apologize. For those that do not listen to my other podcast, if you're tuning in just uh, for a, a love or a curiosity of Jonah Hex, that's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for tuning in. Just uh, going on the assumption that uh, you folks may not know me or, or might be familiar with my other projects. Hi, I'm Scott Gardner, and uh, just to kind of explain where this show has been for well over a year... When we last left Scott Gardner in uh, episode 8, I'm trying to remember back. I'm pretty sure that I had just moved to Florida. I think we had just secured a place to live. We had just moved into uh, the house that we live in now in uh, beautiful, sunny Oviedo, Florida. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that I had just gotten the word that um, I was hired by the Walt Disney Corporation to go join their organization and I'm pretty sure I even knew that uh, what department I was in that I was in uh, that I was going to be in monorails since that time since uh, a little over a year ago it has been one uh, very awesome very uh, fulfilling and just surreal ride I began work at the Walt Disney World Resort in uh, November of 2010 and was uh, in the monorail department. I eventually got drive trained in uh, April and became a monorail pilot and I did that for several months and I just recently, as of uh, about mid last month, about mid-October, I accepted a new position and I'm now working uh, what's called front desk. It's kind of kind of like concierge light, I guess you would call it, uh, at the Disney's Pop Century Resort, and uh, I'm enjoying that very much. It's a lot of fun. It's a, a whole new set of challenges for me, and uh, 
that's kind of where I am at the moment. So that, that hopefully catches you up on that. So you're probably wondering, what, what, what has that got to do with this show? Where have you been? Why, why have you not been putting out Jonah Hex? It's a multitude of reasons. I could sit here and I could uh, say that it was all, you know, I've been so busy and blah, 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 which is very, very true. I have been incredibly busy in that year's time. However, you know, I've managed to get out most of the other shows that I do, you know, the, everything on Two True Freaks, um, projects with Michael Bailey, that sort of thing. I even started up a new show all about Superman. So where has Jonah Hex been? Why have I not been able to uh, get my act together and get this show out? I don't know. It, it's a multitude of reasons. It, it comes down to time. It comes down to, uh, to wanting to do this show a particular way and just not feeling that I had the the time and I don't want to say dedication because I am dedicated to to the show I am dedicated to the character I love Jonah Hex he he fascinates me he's such an awesome character it's just that I want this show to be a particular thing and up till now I just wasn't sure I was ready to to dive back in and make that commitment to trying to do the show the way the first eight episodes came up. Those first eight episodes, honestly, are some of my proudest moments in podcasting. You know, I've only been doing this a little over three years. You know, we started up uh, Two True Freaks in, I believe it was August of 2008. So it's just a little over three years. But in that time, you know, if you'll indulge my bragging for just a moment, I feel like we've really done some fantastic stuff. I, I really feel like we've done just some extraordinary podcasting. Some some podcasting that, again, you know, if you'll indulge me, I think stands uh, stands tall. You know, stands uh, right up there with with some of the finest stuff that's that's ever been put out there in podcasting. If that doesn't sound extremely uh, you know, big headed of me to say. And the Jonah Hex material is some of the two true freaks, you know, the in-house material that, that I'm absolutely the proudest of. Not because it's me or anything, but just because I pulled out all the stops. I really did those shows the way I wanted to do them. And for the most part, they came off the way I wanted them to come off. So it comes down to the show hasn't been coming out because I didn't want to have to scale that quality, so to speak, back. I didn't want to have to scale back the sound of the show. However, in all that time, in the hiatus, I have been receiving a lot of messages from you, the listeners, saying, dude, where's the show? And so I've put some feelers out there just for... What do you want as far as the show to sound like? I mean, would you guys be okay if I just got the show out, but maybe it wasn't, it was scaled back a little bit. Maybe it just didn't have all the bells and whistles that the previous episode, because it was come, it was getting to a point where the show was beginning to sound almost like an audio drama. I'm very proud of that. However, you know, and and I don't want to sound like I'm I'm complaining about it, but it's a lot, a lot of time involved with that. It's a lot of work. And at this point in my life with with so many other things going on, um not to mention, you know, work and family, I just am not sure if I I've have the time for that because I also, you know, do editing chores on the two true freak shows and things like that. So your answer uh, seemed to be a resounding, hey, we just want the show. We don't care about the bells and whistles. Just sit down and say something about Jonah Hex. That's what we want. So I'm just going to say right up front, you know, as you're hearing this, this is a done deal for you. You know, the show's all done and everything, and you're hearing it. At this point, as I'm recording, I have no idea what this is going to sound like. I may end up scaling way back or I may end up beating myself up going, I just can't do it. I just can't scale back and throwing all the bells and whistles in. I honestly don't know. But if it ends up being sounding very similar to the Superman show that I'm doing right now, which is literally me sitting down in front of the microphone talking for an hour or so. And, you know, calling it, okay, that's it. It's in the can, it's done, and and slapping an opener and a closer on it and putting it out there. If it ends up sounding like that, I hope it's good. 
<laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you don't, please let me know. I want to know one way or the other. Anyway, that was a very long-winded way of saying I do apologize. Um, I am back, which also brings up the next thing, the frequency of the show. Okay, I say I'm back, so what am I back for at this point? <laughs> I hate to waffle, but I don't know. At least monthly. I'm trying to figure out this Wednesday thing. I, I'm shooting for, you know, basically what, for the for the two true freaks, I'm, I, I hate to keep bringing up two true freaks because I'm not trying to shill for the other projects I do. If you only want to listen to this show, that's that's awesome. I love that. If you want to listen to the other stuff, or if you do listen to the other stuff, that that's that's awesome as well, but I'm, I'm not pushing you into anything else. But basically how our, our, our network, so to speak, works is the Two True Freaks proper shows. They come out on Mondays. And then I do projects with Michael Bailey. They come out generally on Fridays. So what I wanted to do was have something in the middle of the week, and that's where I'm putting my solo projects. So I've got the Superman thing um, that I just started up. That's in the queue. Uh, I want to bring this show back and Jonah Hex back. And I have a couple of other ideas kind of bouncing around in my head that may or may not materialize. It just depends. And what I'm envisioning at this point was that the, is that the shows will rotate. I'm not sure if they'll rotate week to week or if they'll have the same slot every week. I, I have no idea. I'm playing with this idea, so we'll see how it, how it ends up working out in the long run. But at this point, because I want to do a kind of rotating format, I'm just going to put myself out there and I'm going to say I want this show to be at least monthly. So that's kind of where we're at. Which week that'll be per month, I, I have no idea. Um, a lot of the reason I'm doing this show right now is because, A, I want to give you guys an episode. You've been demanding it. Here's your reward. Sorry for the long wait, but here it is. But also, um, again, peeking behind the curtain, I don't really have anything for Superman this week. And I don't want to burn myself out right away on the Superman thing. So rather than, than plug away Superman week after week and even try to do, say, more than that and do, like, say, Superman on Wednesday and Jonah Hex on Thursday, which is an idea I entertained, I just can't do it. I want so badly to do that. I would love for this show to be weekly again. It just, at this point in my life, it ain't going to happen. I'm sorry. So at least monthly. Moving forward. Want to shout out my good, good friend, Luke Giaconetti. Last night, I got home from work. Um, it was very late. It was very tired. I'd had kind of a mixed day. Got home. There was a couple of packages waiting for me on the table. And I thought they were some uh, eBay purchases that I'd uh, recently made uh, waiting for me. And tore open into them. And neither one of them were packages I, was, I had expected. They were both from my friends and and listeners and they both just totally brightened my day the one that's relevant to this show was from luke and it was the first two issues of all star western now this is the new series that just started up that's uh, continuing from jonah hex volume two i was so excited so happy for this because i had recently acquired all of the issues of jonah hex volume two was very much looking forward to digging into All-Star Western, and then my LCS had sold out of the first issue or two, and I missed them. And I'm the kind of guy that, I'll be honest with you, at my age and everything, it's just, if I miss an issue, the hell with it. I just, I pretty much end up dropping the book because I hate hunting for recent back issues. I just can't stand it. So if I miss an issue, I generally just, that's it, I'm off the book. And with this being the first couple of issues, uh, I was like, well, I just, I don't even need to bother to put that on the, on the, uh, poll list. I'll just, you know, I'll hunt them down at some point, but Luke really wants me to get into this book apparently, and really wants my opinion on it. So, uh, he sent, he very graciously sent me those first two issues just so I can get in on the ground floor of this new hex title. And I am so very grateful. Luke, thank you so much. You're awesome, dude couple other quick things uh a lot of people um and this is going way 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 back and i do apologize um but a lot of people have asked me my opinion of the uh it's not so recent anymore but the jonah hex movie the live action movie that came out well, it was over a year ago now the one with uh, i think his name is james brolin what did i think of it 
Um, it comes down to this. And at some point, I still would like to do a, a, a full episode review of it. Um, that would likely end up being a Two True Freaks project because uh, I know Chris Honeywell had also expressed uh, interest in doing that because he watched the movie as well. Um, but here's the long and short of it. Um, I can think of worse ways to spend 90 minutes, but I did spend all of those 90 minutes waiting for Jonah Hex to show up. So that's pretty much, there There you go. I didn't think it was horrible, but I did not think it was a Jonah Hex movie. The, the character, um, by alterations that they made to both his character and his backstory, did not resemble Jonah Hex, in my opinion. Um, I thought Brolin was okay in the role. I think he's a little tall. Um, but he was all right. Um, I still think I would have rather have seen Thomas Jane or maybe just an unknown or just somebody that I think looks and feels a little more like Jonah Hex. But again, did I think it was, uh, you know, the abominable disgrace that it was made out to be? No, I, it's just, it wasn't Jonah Hex in my opinion. Um, for Jonah Hex in other media, the, the thing I would still give the very highest recommendation to is uh, the episode of Batman the Animated Series called Showdown, which has a little Batman in the beginning, a little Batman at the end, but it is pretty much a straight-up Jonah Hex animated episode, and it kicks butt. I love that episode. I've watched it about a million times, and I think the characterization and especially the voice in that episode that's jonah hex to me and that voice is the one that when i do hex on this show that's the voice i'm shooting for i know i'm not very good at it but that's the voice that i'm shooting for and when i read hex comics that's the voice that i hear in my head i cannot at this moment remember the name of that actor but he did a phenomenal job in that episode and is probably my favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> Ironically, as I say, it has very little Batman in it, but it's my favorite because it's just it's a solid episode, and hey, it's Jonah Hex. You can't go wrong. If you haven't seen it, seek it out. It's great. You'll really enjoy it. Well, well. Jonah Hex, his own bad self. Been here five minutes, and you ain't killed nobody nor set nothing on fire. Slipping, ain't you? I'm still a little bushed. Lastly, I want to get to uh, a couple emails here, and uh, I do, again, apologize it's been so long on these. These are going way, way back, and what's funny is a couple of these are saying things like, hey, glad you're back. This is because there was a hiatus at some point between a couple of the old episodes. I want to say it was between episodes either 6 and 7 or 7 and 8, I forget. But anyway, the first one here is from my friend Damian Crawford, and he says, Glad to see you back. He says, Even though I have been following the ongoing story of Scott Gardner uh, through your other work, it is nice to hear everything is getting back on track, pun intended, in the real world. Uh, okay, so I had announced about the monorail thing because I think that's what he's uh, what he's alluding to here. He says, I finished the showcase, and he's talking about uh, the DC showcase with Jonah Hex. He says, I finished the uh, showcase... Not too long after the last email I sent you. So DC being tightwads about the royalties is to blame for the wasted 100 pages. i much rather them make the trade shorter than to put stuff that has nothing to do with what the cover of the book advertises. What he's talking about is in that showcase presents Jonah Hex uh, about the last 100 pages or so reprints earlier issues of the original all-star uh excuse me all-star western uh title before jonah showed up because jonah shows up in i believe it's issue 10 and we've all kind of been scratching our heads trying to figure out why did they do that because that material does not relate to jonah hex in any way shape or fashion and in my personal opinion I think it hurts that trade because it makes it look like just a Western title, which I've always asserted Jonah Hex is not just a Western uh, character, just a Western story. Yes, it's set in the Old West for the most part, but Jonah, as I think is evidenced in the uh, episodes I've already put out and will definitely be fleshed out over time in, in subsequent episodes, Jonah Hex transcends his medium. He, he's so much more than just 
a gunslinger or a cowboy or a Western character. He's so much more than that. Anyway, uh, Damien continues. He says, this is the issue that had the ending spoiled because around the same time I was listening to old episodes of Back to the Bins in episode six from May of 09, uh, the comic you brought to the table was Weird Western Tales number 35. The end in the discussion, you mentioned how in one issue, Jonah kicks a wheelchair-bound woman off the cliff. Now this spoiled me because I heard this around the time of reading this issue. So no apology needed as it was bad timing on my part because you could not have known a year in the past that you would have started a Jonah podcast. <laughs> So he absolves me of all blame in that. I'll, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Sorry that was spoiled for you, though. I'd totally forgotten that I'd talked about that. He said, it is cool you uh, found a fan older than yourself now. You can be the young guy at the Jonah Hex Fan Club Mixers. <laughs> he says, yeah, no comments about the book again. Uh, what can I say? Not much to say about stuff that entertains me. Until my next unexpected email, have fun working for the mouse. And that's from Damian Crawford. Thank you, Damian. Next up is from my friend, the aforementioned Luke Giaconetti, and he writes, Jonah Hex, Western hero, not superhero. He says, welcome back, Scott. Glad to see that death and the acrid smell of gun smoke has come back from Boot Hill. <laughs> He says, anyway, just listen to episode A. Another name for this story might have been A Fistful of Dynamite, but that was taken. I like that name, though. He says, of course, any issue where someone gets blown up by dynamite is a classic in my book, Judge Hatchet. What a great Western name. What I like about these classic Jonah Hex stories is that despite the setting being one of moral ambiguity and gray area, Hex himself has no such problems. He does what his code of morality tells him is right, as opposed to characters like Judge Hatchet, who are the quote-unquote authority, despite being corrupt. Oh sure, he's a violent and ill-tempered man, but he's got the moral high ground most of the time, a common trait of the western loner hero archetype which Hex embodies. Much like you say, Jonah Hex is not a superhero, but he is definitely a hero in the western generic sense. Hmm. Hmm. I agree with everything you say up to that last sentence. Um, I'm not sure that I would define him even as a Western hero, but uh, we'll come back to that. We'll come back because that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting idea. Luke continues, compare this to someone like Bat Lash, who generally does the right thing, but at the end of the day is not a, uh, afraid to line his own pockets or otherwise lie, cheat, or steal to save his own neck. Bat eventually would morph into this sort of character, but he started out as a scoundrel, which was the point. But Hex, though he is a killer, and no one will deny that, he is a man trying to do the right thing in an all-too-often, quote-unquote, wrong world. Well, okay, that I will agree with. He says, also, I love your old-timer's voice. <laughs> By the way, have you had a chance to check out the DVD of Batman Under the Red Hood? The DVD features a great short subject DC showcase, Jonah Hex. It stars Thomas Jane as Hex and Linda Hamilton. It is definitely informed by the modern Jonah Hex series, but it does touch on the old school tales as well. It's a very uh, well done 12-minute mini-movie, uh, which is a great showcase, no pun intended, uh, for Hex. Yes, I have seen that, and I liked it. I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Thomas Jane as Hex, and you know what I'd really like out of that? And I, as soon as that movie started and I, and I heard Thomas Jane speak, it took me back to the Punisher video game that came out right around the time of the Thomas Jane Punisher film. The video game, as it turns out, really has nothing to do with that film at all. And it was great because Thomas Jane just was, you know, as the voice of the Punisher, was fantastic. And as I was watching that Jonah Hex uh, mini-movie with Thomas Jane as the voice of Hex, I got to thinking, man, this would make a great video game. Um, I've been itching for quite a while for a really good Western game. And uh, I think that would be phenomenal. That's kind of neither here nor there, but that, that's where my mind took me. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good little movie. Um, 
not one of my favorites of the uh, of the little DC showcase mini movies, though. I really liked the Spectre one. I thought was phenomenal because it really took me back to that Jim Aparo stuff back in Adventure Comics, and uh, the Superman Shazam one was great, just because it was it was a guilty pleasure. It was just Superman and, and Shazam and Black Adam just tearing stuff up. I thought that was that was really really good. But the Jonah Hex one was good, and I mean, if they could spin that into a, a feature length film or a, a animated series, I would totally be on board for that. I, I enjoyed it. At least it was to me. It was um, more faithful than the live action movie. M- much more faithful, as it turned out. It said on a personal note, congratulations on the monorail operator gig. I, too, am a big fan of the Disney monorail. Growing up, we went to Disney World usually every year or every other year. We traditionally stayed at the Polynesian Resort, which, as you know, has a monorail system. So we always took the monorail to the Magic Kingdom and Epcot Center. Now, not so much since my parents typically stayed at Old Key West, but I have a lot of great memories of that train. In fact, once we did get uh, to ride uh, in the front with the driver, also the fact that you will... Uh, most likely get a chance to drive the Tron rail is just icing on the cake for a Tron nerd like you. And he says, please stand clear of the doors. Keep up the great work on the podcast and long live Jonah Hex. And that's from Luke Giaconetti. Thank you, Luke. Thank you very much. And uh, and yeah, you, you you took me back. I, I did indeed get to uh, to drive the Tron rail. And while it was very, very hard to leave the department, um, the the blow was softened a little bit by uh, by the Tron Rail not being around anymore. If the Tron Rail was still there, I think I would still want to be in the department. But uh, once the Tron Rail went away, um, it it was easier to leave at that point because it was like, okay, I I did what I set out to do. I got to drive the Tron Rail, so yeah, it was very very cool. Last email we have for this episode is from Jason Trenner, and he says, Want me to speak up? So you got it. He says, I've really been enjoying the podcast. I have to agree with you on the price of movies these days. Last year for my birthday, I went and saw the live-action G.I. Joe movie, and with 20 bucks, I couldn't get a ticket, popcorn, and a drink and some candy. Seriously, that's just freaking insane. And I was going solo at that. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Of course, they also mislabel the drink sizes. It shouldn't be small, medium, and large. It should be large, jumbo, and Godzilla for sizes. They did at least throw in a free refill for the drink even after the movie. And yes, I asked them that. Comics and the movies uh, used to have a far wider audience because they were inexpensive. Now, well, to be honest, everything is in 3D so they can make a few more bucks. Anyway, on to Jonah Hex. He's awesome. The only Marvel character that uh, that can compare is the obscure and yet uh, also got around Death's Head. Seriously, how many characters have fought various Transformers, the Doctor, Iron Man uh, 2020, the Fantastic Four, She-Hulk, the Dragon's Claws, and Kang? Well, one of the cross-time Council of Kangs, anyway. And it's in real comics, not in fan fiction. You know, I've heard a lot of good things about that character. I know next to absolutely nothing about that character. But that might be somebody I'll have to look into at some time. He fought the Doctor? That's actually pretty cool. Says, uh, well, maybe I should uh, honestly get to talking about Jonah Hex in this story. There was a hanging judge in the Old West and even had a gallows that could hang five or six people at once though he wasn't as vile as the hanging judge in this story. And I do like that we do see the duality of human nature in Hex, and his response after the hanging lady went off the cliff was interesting. I look forward uh, to more episodes of this podcast, even if I was rambling on stuff not directly related to the story. The death count is, of course, my favorite part of the show. What can I say? I like seeing how many people Jonah Hex kills. Best wishes, and that's from Jason Trenner. Thank you, Jason, very much. I enjoyed that email quite a bit. And that wraps up emails for this time. I'm going to take a little quick break, folks, play a couple of promos, and we will be right back with Weird Western Tales, number 18. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang.
job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast I've got a few things to say about Superman The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton And Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton From Hinden Audio Productions Join hosts Michael Bradley John Wilson Billy Hogan Charlie Niemeyer J. David Weeder Jeffrey Taylor Michael Bailey Scott Gardner Cayman Stoll I'm Isaac I'm Adam Dave Eunice and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com Welcome back to the Jonah Hex Podcast. Next, we're going to be looking at Weird Western Tales number 18. This is the July-August issue, 1973. Original cover price, a mere 20 cents. Cover is by, and I sure hope I don't butcher this name too badly, Luis Dominguez. Not a name I'm familiar with, and uh, I have to be perfectly honest, not a cover I'm especially uh, fond of. It shows a a weird perspective shot. We're kind of looking up at Jonah Hex as he opens a barn door and is walking in holding a lantern. And from the perspective, we can see that above him in the rafters is this creature that looks very, very, very much like a cross between Bigfoot from the old Six Million Dollar Man series and how uh, Chewbacca was drawn in the earliest issues of Marvel Comics Star Wars. I'm just not really crazy about this cover. It's in that kind of scratchy art style um, that I really don't care for very much. And Hex doesn't really look like Hex. Other than the uh, the trademark connected uh, upper and lower lip, you wouldn't really know it was him. He, he looks like just like some old West Farm dude walking into a barn. It doesn't really... It doesn't scream Jonah Hex, despite Jonah Hex being in huge, huge, huge letters on the cover of it. But this is an interesting story. As I say, I originally had intended this to be uh, a Halloween uh, episode back for 2010. I think you'll see why, because while the the story is titled, I think this could very easily be called uh, Jonah Hex Meets the Wolfman. Um, I think you'll see why when we get into this. The uh, interior credits... Simply uh, gives just a couple here. We have script by John Albano, art by Tony DiZaniga, and editor Joe Orlando. And our story begins with the following narration box. It was an empire on the move. Countless thousands of people trudging westward, seeking land, silver and gold. A few would realize their ambition. Others would find the west a graveyard of hope and desire. For along with the diligent and honest men traveling across this rich virgin soil, there would be the desperados, the swindlers, the murderers. This wordage is accentuated by a scene beautifully illustrated by Dizaniga of bandits on horseback chasing an old man and shooting him off of his mount. The men, Josh and Skyler, 
relieve the old guy of his gold mine claim and are about to ride off when they spot a saddle bum casually washing his clothes across the stream from them. They wade over and hassle the shirtless bystander about whatever he may have seen or heard. The saddle bum says he witnessed everything, but as it's no business of his, he isn't concerned. Josh and Skylar, however, aren't taking any chances. They draw their weapons and order the man to turn around, which he does, revealing a scarred and terrible face. A face the now terrified Josh recognizes as... It's him! It's... Jonah Hex in The Hoax. Yes, Jonah Hex, unbridled with virtues, devoid of even partial mercy towards his enemies, he was the best and the worst of his breed. The West had many, quote-unquote, gun-for-hire killers. But by body count alone, Jonah Hex led the list. I think this is something of a forerunner of what we would eventually see uh, attached to Jonah Hex, which was... uh, he had no friends, this Jonah Hex, the, the opener of this show, essentially. That is taken directly from the header which would come to describe Hex eventually. We have not seen that yet. But that does slowly develop over the course of, of several issues. I think this is very much a precursor to that. So the bounty hunter mercilessly and without hesitation guns both men down. Standing by the stream, looking at his handiwork, Jonah hears a weak cry for help. He moseys over to the old man, whom he and the bad guys had assumed was already expired. And the dying codger asks Jonah to get his claim back and take it to his daughter in the town of Esmeralda. Hex agrees, provided he is paid for his services, and the old man succumbs to his wounds. Hours later, in the Esmeralda Hotel, Hex relates the tale to the old man's daughter and has paid for his services. She asks him if he's reported her father's murder to the sheriff and is horrified when Hex tells her there's no need to. No need to, she says. Those barbarians must be placed behind bars. They can't be allowed to live among respectable Gentile people like you and I. But they're not living, ma'am. They're they're not? No, ma'am. I shot them both to death. I'm against barbarians, same as you. That evening in the local saloon as Hex is dining, a mob barges in, ordering him to his feet. The sheriff demands to know what the ruckus is all about, and the men tell of Hex having sold the old man's daughter, whom it turns out is blind, a phony gold claim. Hex ignores the men until one actually lays hands on him, then all bets are off. Hex knocks the holy hell out of the man and draws his irons on the lot of them. He tries to tell his side of the story, that he didn't sell the girl anything but his services and didn't even know she was sightless, but they aren't having any of it. There is a tense and gorgeously rendered standoff for the better part of page 7, in which it looks as if this may be the end of the line for Jonah and that he's fully prepared to go out in a blaze of glory, taking as many of the bastards with him as he can. But a cooler head prevails. A voice of reason in the form of J.M. Marbury makes the scene and convinces the men and the sheriff that he will take responsibility for Jonah while an investigation is conducted. Amazingly, everyone, including Jonah, agrees to this, and the two leave the bar together. Outside, Jonah asks J.M. how he plans to prevent him from leaving if he has a mind to. Rather than answer that, though, J.M. poses his own question, just how good is Jonah with those guns of his anyway? And right on cue, someone calls Hex out. The gunfighter whirls, pushes J.M. out of the way, and shoots, taking down his would-be attacker. Another desperado fires on Hex from the rooftops, and Jonah is able to wing him. The man takes off with Hex in hot pursuit, and despite barely being able to see the ambusher in the darkness, fires two rounds that knocks the guy off the roof to land headfirst with a thud. J.M. thanks Hex for saving his skin and, after clearing things with the sheriff regarding the bodies now littering the streets, decides to take his newfound friend into his confidence regarding his quote-unquote prize, a snarling beast he has trapped in cage, half coyote, half human, the wolf boy. 
Jam intends to showcase his find as an oddity in every town in the West and wants Hex to share in the profits with him 50-50 as protection against those that might try to relieve him of his profits along the way. And Hex accepts. Soon, J.M. Marbury is charging 50 cents a head for a peek at the Wolf Boy. Townsfolk turn out in droves to witness the freak and aren't disappointed by the show. But one old man is especially disturbed by what he's seen, and soon a Mr. Colby pays a visit to J.M.'s setup. He's come because the old man informed Colby of something he noticed about the Wolf Boy. The wolf boy has a diamond-shaped scar on his neck, precisely the same as Colby's long-lost son had. It seems that 15 years ago, Colby lost his child to an Indian attack and has been searching for the boy ever since. And now, apparently, he has turned up as the half-coyote creature. Jam tries to dismiss Colby, and this brings about a minor confrontation when Colby starts to draw his pistol, and Hex is forced to shoot the weapon out of his hand. Now, long-time listeners may recall that this, unless it's the Lone Ranger doing it, is one of my pet peeves of the Western genre. It's a cliche that I just don't like, and I sure don't like Jonah Hex doing it. Everyone simmers down, and it is agreed that Mr. Colby, for a sum never disclosed to the reader, will purchase the Wolf Boy. Hex is seemingly uncomfortable with this idea, presumably because it equates basically to flesh trading. And he asks for nothing from his share of the stake in the Wolf Boy, but Jam is quick to talk him into accepting his half of the money as a quote-unquote finder's fee, to which Jonah reluctantly agrees. And so, later the following day at the local saloon, the earlier confrontation scene plays out all over again as pissed-off town folk confront Jonah Hex over the swindling of Mr. Colby. Jonah, clueless and fed up with his shit of every time he's in the saloon, someone comes in after him with a gun, smashes a bottle over the closest townie's head, and uses the man's limp body as a shield to make good his escape but not before beating the tar out of the sheriff and another man who tries to draw a bead on him. Far from town, Jam watches from the bank of a pond as the so-called wolf boy washes off his stage makeup. The two men yuck it up over how stupid people are. They knew the story of Colby's long-lost son and put the whole wolf boy scam together in order to con him out of a fortune. And then they laid the blame on Jonah Hex, going so far as to tell the local law just where to find the bounty hunter. Assuming that they've gotten away with their hijinks scot-free, the two make for California. They've put a whole day's travel between themselves and the town of Esmeralda when, up on a ridge, Jonah Hex appears, trailing them. In a panic, Jam and the Wolf Boy ride like hell. Soon, however, Wolf Boy's horse hits a gopher hole and falls on him, pinning him to the ground. Jam rides on without looking back. He's taking no chances about having to face Jonah Hex. Hex catches up with the Wolf Boy, who has somehow managed to extricate himself, and he draws on Jonah. Jonah shoots the weapon out of his hand. Jonah ties the boy up and sends him back to town on horseback and sets off again after J.M. Hex catches him, too. Many hours later, after the dirtbag has murdered a man and his wife for their horse and had a full night's rest, J.M. awakens to the smell of frying bacon and brewing coffee, makes his way to a figure hunched over a campfire, and asks if the cowpoke wouldn't mind some company. To which the figure whirls and responds, I don't mind, J.M. It's so lonely in this part of the country. I tried to invite a farmer and his wife to have dinner with me last night, only they'd sort of lost their appetite. JM's in a total panic. He says, oh my god, no! How? How did he track me? How? And again, on his horse, JM sets off through the dense woods in yet another desperate, futile attempt to lose Jonah Hex, when he suddenly rides headlong into a pack of Indians. The stupid ass pulls his pistol and fires into the crowd, and receives an arrow in the chest for his trouble. As he lays dying, a pale-skinned Indian dismounts and confronts him, asking why he attacked them. J.M. gasps out that he thought that they were hostile, and then he notices something about the Indian. Soon, Hex comes upon the scene. What happened, J.M.? You try to sell that engine a prairie dog dressed as a buffalo? J.M., dying, says that Colby ought to enjoy hearing who it was that finally did him in. Jonah, 
Listen, I sold that rancher Colby a phony son collected $5,000 for supposedly finding his long-lost boy for him. So maybe Colby will enjoy hearing who it was that finally did me in. I don't understand. An Indian got you. That's right, gunfighter. An Indian split my insides with an arrow. A pale-skinned Indian with a diamond-shaped scar on his neck. And in the last panel, we see the Indians riding off. And Jonah's looking after them. He says, well, I'll be danged. I'll be danged. Okay, you know, this isn't a bad story necessarily, but it's too circular, for lack of a better term. It's too self-referential. I mean, I know it's a small world and everything, but come on. It seems like everything in this story comes back to itself. It's the the whole swindle scheme. It's a little too well-packaged, I guess. But, you know, I've, I've read this story several times now, and uh, it's it's okay. It's just, it's not one of my favorites. I, I think it would have been fun as a... Uh, as a Halloween tale, though, with the whole wolf boy thing. But I, I enjoy it. it. It's an interesting story. Just a couple of, uh, of quick notes here. The horse's expression on page one, panel two, is just priceless. It's this, the old man that gets shot at the very beginning of the story. He's uh, lying on the ground, and the horse just has this great look of, ah, I'm out of here, on his face. I, I really like that. I like the characters of uh, of Josh and Skyler too. I'm Dizaniga again, just phenomenal, phenomenal artist. And you've got the one guy here who looks kind of like a cross between Davy Crockett and like Wild Bill Hickok, and then the other guy who's dressed like a he's got like a Union soldier cap, but he's dressed like he should be working at like a train depot or something. It's, it's very odd, but uh very Westerny. <laughs> just, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I like shirtless hex here too. He's just, he looks totally badass walking around without a shirt on. Um, there's a scene in the background on page five that I, I didn't touch upon in the synopsis. It's, it's what I would dub a quiet comedy. Because as Hex is talking to the daughter of the old man that's killed in the very beginning of the story, you know, the old man with the with the supposed gold mine, Hex is seen in the first panel, he's lighting a cigarette. And then in the very next panel, he's throwing the cigarette onto the floor. Now, the man that, that runs the hotel that Hex and the woman are, are speaking in, we see him observe this, and he comes over, and he's immediately picking up the cigarette in the third panel and then in the fourth panel he's got a scowl on his face as we see him with a feather duster cleaning up uh behind jonah's backs as as hex is counting his money in the last panel as hex tells the woman that he's against barbarians the same as she is we see hex again throwing another lit cigarette onto the floor and it's looking like he's purposely goading this very prissy-looking hotel operator. It's its very funny. I, I really enjoy that scene. And uh, it just speaks to, to Jonah's character that he's not above ribbing people, especially uh, other men that he, he sees as not as uh, rugged and manly that he is, things like that. I, I, kinda, I get a kick out of that. The story does really move along. But, again, I I think it moves a bit too fast sometimes, and events are a little too convenient in in different places in the story. The whole shooting the guns out of hands thing, uh, I I really just, when it comes to Jonah, I don't like that. I love that with the Lone Ranger, because the Lone Ranger, he is a hero. He's, you know, arguably he's a superhero. So I like it with him, because he's not just going to waste people willy-nilly you know he has a code of honor that he lives by he's arguably he's a lawman or you know he's he's under the guise of being a a, a lawman you know a, a lone ranger a, a texas ranger jonah has none of that he's he's supposed to be this this feared tough as nails scarier than hell bounty hunter while i you know i don't really want to see jonah killing people willy-nilly either but in this case, neither of the people that he shot the, the guns out of their hands were, were people that 
I feel like Jonah would have crossed a line had he just wasted them rather than shooting the guns out of their hands. The art, again, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And whether you like this story or not, it's worth it just for the art in this. There are a lot of really, really beautiful and fantastic pages in this. I two things that really jump out in uh, to me in this one is that Jonah gets to fist fight several times in this issue. I like that quite a bit because he has a very weird fighting style. It, he he fights like a total bruiser, like like someone who doesn't really know or understand the concept of fighting. He just all you know he's all in clobbering the guys with like giant these giant roundhouse type attacks. And that's odd because when we do eventually get the origin of Hex, it would seem like he would be a very skilled hand-to-hand combatant. And I think that actually does get fleshed out with the character later on. But in these earlier stories, very much fighting like like a bruiser. And the standoff between Hex and the pissed-off townsfolk the first time around in the beginning of the story where they think that he swindled the blind woman... The art on this page is great because you can feel the tension of the scene in the artwork. Dizaniga just, he does a phenomenal job. You don't even have to read the caption boxes, which are great, by the way, to get the sense of it. You can tell just by the pictures exactly what's going on here. These people want to kill him. Hex isn't afraid. He's looking like the quintessential cornered animal ready to take out as many of these people as he can before they get him. It's beautiful, beautifully illustrated. That's pretty much my thoughts on this issue. As I say, it's not my favorite, but it's not a bad little story. I don't really care for people getting the best of Hex, which, you know, in the end they don't. He ends up still alive and they're dead. Uh, presumably, but as I say, it, it's it's a pretty good story. I enjoy it pretty well. Um, but we have much better coming along. This story has been reprinted. It was in the uh, Showcase Presents Jonah Hex uh, trade paperback, uh, Volume One from 2005. As far as other features, co-features, there are none. For the first time, Jonah Hex has taken over the book, and he has driven out all of the co-hosts. To become the sole feature in Weird Western Tales. I think that's awesome. As far as ads, eh, there's a couple. We have the uh, almost prerequisite uh, Daisy Air Rifle ad here. Now, I get a kick out of this because it it shows this just disastrous room. And it says, if you want your parents to get you a uh, Daisy BB gun, look at it from their point of view. And it shows this just complete wreck of a room. Uh, cleaning my room wouldn't have worked with my parents, I'll just say right now. My mother, not going to allow me to get a uh, Daisy air rifle. Not Just not going to happen. I have always, always, always been a huge fan of an ad that's in this book. It's the one called The Day Bill Told Off His Boss. I love this ad because the guy that tells off his boss looks very, very much like Richard Dreyfus, like a young Richard Dreyfus, and his asshole of a boss. He looks very similar to uh, uh, my science teacher, Mr. Nutter. He's a little smaller and a little skinnier, but he's pretty much got the same outfit and the same scowl on his face. I think this is just begging for a Chris Honeywell Photoshop job to uh, change the dialogue up a bit. And I think I just might help him with the scripting of that because this looks absolutely, it's got all kinds of potential for, uh, for hilarity there. But it is funny just the way it reads on its own where the boss calls Bill in. Get in here, Bill. I want to talk to you. And he starts berating the poor guy. And the guy just finally tells him off. He's like, you know what? Screw you, dude. I've been studying in my spare time. And at the very end, he just says, uh... CEI made it easy, so goodbye to you and your crummy job. <laughs> I love that. I've always liked that ad. You've got the, uh, again, prerequisite creepy bodybuilding ads with the, all these buffs, uh, bodybuilder guys looking at me in a weird fashion that makes me uncomfortable. We have sea monkeys. Sea monkeys are awesome. Never owned any of them, but uh, 
you know, I, I was never suckered in by the ads. I you know, even as a as a young kid, I, I'm very proud of the fact that I was not quite that stupid to believe that there were actually these like alien things that you could order through the mail that lived in castles and stuff and had family. I just never bought any of that. Like I love the ads though. Um, some other ads in here. There's a really cool one in here for uh, for Prez, the teen president. A little subscription ad here that I always like these old subscription ads because they give you a feel for exactly what was out around this time. And man, there was a million Superman books going on, a lot of mystery. There were so many more genres during this time. You had mystery books, a lot of different like ghosts and house of mystery, that sort of thing. Had still had romance comics on the stands, some war titles, and uh, even a couple of science fiction books. But I like the ad, the. Uh, advertisement here for Prez. It just says, coming the first teen president of the USA. <laughs> Never read any Prez. Oh, no, I take that back. I have read a Prez story. He was in an early issue of uh, of Supergirl when she finally got her own solo title. And uh, I, ha- I have read that one. I think that's the only Prez story I've ever read. And my favorite one, pretty much right in the middle of the book, almost a... Uh, it actually it is. It's a uh, centerfold right in the middle of the book. We have an ad here for model kits. They were the zap action kits from MPC Models. This is Walt Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean. And I love these ads. They are so cool because I remember when I finally, finally got to ride the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. Relatively not long ago. You know, it was about about 12 years ago or so when I finally went to uh, Disney for the first time got to ride these things and how certain elements of them felt so familiar to me even though I you know I'd never been on them before and looking at some of these old comics I come to realize why because they had these great zap action model kit ads in these old comics and two of the popular ones were the Pirates of the Caribbean one and the Haunted Mansion which some of the model kits were completely original and, and depicted scenes that were not in the attractions, but then other ones were in the attractions, or something similar to them was, was in the attractions. I like that. I think that's really neat. And uh, probably my favorite one here is the one called Dead Man's Raft, and it shows one skeleton uh, holding on to the ship's wheel, which is a scene that is in the actual attraction. While there's there's this box in front of him, and if you open the, the lid of the box, there's the zap action of another skeleton comes flying out of the box and stabs a dagger into the uh, treasure map uh, laying on the floor in front of the box. <laughs> it's just really neat. I think that's very cool. That's pretty much it for uh, for the issue and the ads and everything. Not much to tell on the letters page this time around. I, I gave it a cursory glance, but didn't really see anything of interest. So... That wraps us up for this time and brings us to the death count. There is a lot of death in this issue, make no mistake about that, but precious little of it is actually doled out by Jonah Hex. He only kills four people in this issue. I say only. They are all men and they're all uh, gunshot. I wish I'd thought sooner to keep track of how many people Jonah beats the snot out of or, you know, hits over the head with something like a bottle or a chair like in this issue. And I hate to say it, but if he keeps up this thing of shooting guns out of people's hands, I'd be kind of curious about the count with that too, but I'm not keeping track of that yet. So, death count. Overall tally so far is three off-panel kills, 27 shot, four outdrawn, two allowed to die, two blown up real good, one stabbed, one chased off a cliff, and one kicked off a cliff. That's a total of 41 people killed by Jonah Hex so far. Next time, Weird Western Tales, number 19. For the Jonah Hex Podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very, very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to Jonah Hex Podcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, 
is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com.